Hello all, and welcome back to History's Great Mysteries, a podcast outlining some of the most incredible and mysterious occurrences of our past. I'm your host, Nick, and I am glad to be back after a short hiatus, but I assure you the episode I have for you today will more than make up for lost time. So you better buckle in, because I have truly never been more sure than I am today that I'm about to blow all of your minds. In popular entertainment and media, you've no doubt encountered the idea that, you know, oh my gosh, what if there was a secret society that was controlling all of us? What if there's somebody behind the scenes that's puppeteering us all? What if the Illuminati is real, for instance, right? Like, what if there is a secret order of individuals that's just crafting the world around us? And it, you know, kind of seems far-fetched, right? But the idea is still gripping, and it's somewhat frightening, and that's why it's the subject of so many sci-fi slash dystopia novels and movies. But, after this episode, you might not find the idea so far-fetched. Today, I will outline the facts, the events, the speculation, and everything in between when it comes to the most famous secret society on Earth. Today, I will cover the giant, centuries-old mystery that is the Freemason Society. Now, before I dive in here, I want to get one thing straight. The Freemason Society is highly secretive, and thus many of their secrets are only truly known to those intimately involved, which I am not. I'm not a member of the Freemason Society. So all we can do on the outside is take bits and pieces of fact, fill in holes along the way, and then kind of speculate on what's really going on. Some people take this way too far and, you know, drop conspiracy theories at every corner, and that's not what I'm going to do here. Instead, I'm going to stick to what is truly known and then point out what is unknown and other cool considerations for you, the listener, to decide about where exactly you stand on what's fact and what's fiction. With that being said, let's establish what exactly the Freemason Society is. The Freemasons pride themselves on being the world's oldest and largest fraternal order. It is estimated that they have around 5 million members from around the world. One official website for the Masons lists their mission as fostering brotherly love, acquiring truth and knowledge, all while being upstanding citizens and brothers, and maintaining responsibility in the community. And yes, this is a fraternal order, so as the name implies, only men are accepted into the ranks. There are some interesting subgroups, such as, you know, the Order of the Eastern Star, that accepts women as well, but for now I'm going to kind of focus on the Freemasons. So you might be thinking, okay, Nick, there doesn't seem to be anything mysterious about a philanthropic fraternal order with millions of members. Ah, but listen to this. Much of the mystery comes in when you consider their practices and the pure amount of influence that they've had over the ages. The Freemasons are a highly, highly secretive society. You know in movies, like when a character is abducted by shadowy hooded figures, blindfolded and then taken into a dark room that's lit only with candles, and then they have to undergo like a sacred ritual as a rite of passage? Like That's the level of secrecy I'm talking about here. They really do stuff like that. And furthermore, all Freemason meetings are held strictly behind closed doors, and there's like secret passwords and handshakes to confirm identities. 
different groups of Freemasons around the world will communicate with each other, but no one else in the outside world. And, you know, from the outside looking in, you can see how the average non-member could quickly become suspicious and start to want answers. The mysteries surrounding the Masonic Order go only deeper when you look at how it all began, well over 2,000 years ago. The story of the Freemasons began around 950 BC during the reign of King Solomon. King Solomon is a legendary figure and a prophet who is referred to by name in the New Testament as a teacher of wisdom. Most notably, he is the one who ordered the construction of the first holy temple in Jerusalem during his reign. The temple, which is sometimes referred to as Solomon's Temple, was a grand feat of design and construction. For obvious reasons, the project required a team of brilliant and dedicated stonemasons to complete the task. And thus, when a team was formed, there was a master builder named, a man by the name of Haram Abif, who began the traces, the first traces, of the Freemason Society. Over the many years that the temple was being built, the stonemasons had to keep a great many secrets about it. Uh, most scholars believe that this centered around the hiding place within the temple of the legendary Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant could be a, a the subject of an entire episode on its own, but just as a quick rundown, this Ark was said to contain the fragments of the Ten Commandments that were originally given to Moses. So, it served as the pinnacle of religious artifacts during the time, and as a result, its location and you know how to gain entry to it was a staunchly guarded secret among King Solomon and his builders. One day, as Master Mason Haram Abif was leaving the temple, he was actually cornered by three men who demanded to know the secrets of Solomon's temple. And as the story goes, Abif refused to divulge the information, and in turn, the men attacked him and killed him. Later, when Abif's body was found, he and his legacy were laid to rest, never to be forgotten by the other Masons who realized the devotion that Abif displayed. He gave his life rather than to betray the sacred trust of their ranks. This story would resonate with the Freemasons throughout the remainder of history, and it's a story that's still told today. If tomorrow you were to go join the Freemasons and be accepted, you would be told the story of Abif, and you'd be entrusted to never divulge the secrets of the society. Then, in 587 BC, Solomon's temple was attacked by Nebuchadnezzar II at the Siege of Jerusalem. In the siege, the temple was destroyed, and all of the artifacts were, that were within the temple were stolen. That is at least all artifacts other than the Ark of the Covenant. And try as, they, try as they might, Nebuchadnezzar's forces never could find the Ark within the temple, and you know it was the most sought-after artifacts that had left him you know, shorthanded of what they had really come there for. To this day, the location of the Ark remains one of the greatest mysteries ever, like literally ever. Many historians maintain that the Masons removed the Ark from the temple before it was destroyed and then hid it somewhere. So, as you might have guessed, the location of the Ark is one of the secrets that's sought to be held by the higher-ups within the Freemason society. And let's, just, you know, let's get one thing straight here. It's not as if you can just join the Freemasons and then they're like, thank you for joining us, welcome to the Brotherhood, hey, look over there, under the coffee table, that's the Ark of the Covenant right there. Like, no, that's, that's not how it works, see... When when you join the society, you're entering a ranking system, and you know while while some of the exact ranks differ from chapter to chapter, the three main tiers are as follows: you begin as an entered apprentice, and then through the excellence of your duties and experience, you can move up to the second tier, which is fellow craft, and then from there, only a select few exceptional individuals can move on to become a master mason. 
and with each progressing degree, it is thought that more and more secrets of the Freemasons are divulged to you. But anyways, back to the history. Eventually, a second temple was rebuilt from the ashes of the first, and then it too was eventually destroyed. Among the bloodshed of the Crusades, another society began to form, and you may have heard of him. I am talking about the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar was a, you know, at its core, a charitable organization made up of highly skilled knights, yes, but also very brilliant economic men who could set up some of the early forms, you know, when they were working at this time, they set up early forms of banks, what we know as banks today. And through their fighting and financial influence, the Knights of Templar gained in popularity and membership through the 13th century. They are connected to the Freemasons for two reasons. Firstly, they kept guard over the remains of King Solomon's temple, and that's where they were thought to have guarded its secrets, um, just as the original Masons did. Secondly, uh, Pope Clement V eventually suppressed and forced the disbandment of the Knights Templar in 1312, and it's thought that many of the members of the Templar silently receded into the ranks of the Freemason Society. So, you know, now the secrets of both societies are under one roof. And with that, I will move on to the more modern history of the Freemason Society. As the 18th century rolled around, the Freemason organization began to establish their belief system as they became much, much more than a group of stonemasons. See, like back in those days, stonemasonry was a very respected skill and very, you know, highly sought after. But say you're the mayor of a town and you're like, I want a new building right over there. Who should I hire to build it? Well, it wasn't as easy as just hopping like on Indeed and, you know, looking at resumes. Like, no, you had to reach out to a respected group of stonemasons who were Freemasons, right? And furthermore, they would keep their secret symbols and gestures to indicate they were indeed experienced stonemasons. You know, it was a secret within themselves. You couldn't just say, hey, I'm a stonemason. And like, if you aren't proven, if you aren't experienced, you don't know the secrets, you don't know the symbols, you don't know the handshakes, then therefore you aren't respected and then the mayor won't hire you, right? So that's how they did it back in that day. It was so much easier to carry around these, you know, symbols, these sigils and stuff that would indicate your skills rather than, you know, having to prove it. You can't just build a building and be like, yeah, see, I proved it, I can build. Like you had to have some other way to do it because that wasn't, you know, logical to do it that other way. So these men would meet in predetermined meeting houses to, yes, they would talk about the tricks of the trade about masonry, but it was also that time around this time in the 1800s that they were solidifying much more than that. They were solidifying their belief system, their brotherhood. And the Freemason society is often compared with like a religious group or a religious society or in somehow there's a connection built there, but it really isn't. It's, it's not true. It's actually couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, the Freemasons are very lax when it comes to religion. They accept all different kinds of people into their ranks, and the only stipulation is that you have to believe in some kind of powerful being. So today, Freemasons are come from all different backgrounds and all different religions. You really just have to believe in an all-powerful building. You can't be like an atheist. That's pretty much it. So they refer to this, like, this being that they believe in as the Grand Architect. So you just have to believe in a Grand Architect. And, of course, the Grand Architect is someone who originally crafted this world. If you're looking for an official date that the society began, 1717 would be the year that four smaller meeting places, or what would become to known as lodges, uh, they combined in London to create the first Grand Lodge. 
and then other European countries quickly followed suit, and then the society began to gain traction from there. However, not everyone was so psyched to hear about you know, powerful men sneaking around and meeting in secret to talk about who knows what. So Pope Clement XII actually made an official decree um, that any Catholic known to be a Freemason will be excommunicated from the church. And for a time, the Portuguese government actually made membership a crime punishable by death. Despite some of the controversy, however, the members within the society felt confident about what they were doing and their mission. So Freemasonry continued and eventually made its way overseas to the shores of the British colonies that would eventually become the United States of America. The Freemasons actually saw the predominantly Protestant colonies as a perfect place to escape persecution that was seen in Europe. The first two lodges set up across the sea were in Philadelphia and in Boston. It didn't take long for Freemasonry to catch hold in the colonies, and from here on out, it will become painfully clear how much Freemason members shaped the organization of America as it was being created. In 1731, Benjamin Franklin joined the Philadelphia Lodge and became its master mason only three short years later. In 1773, the lodge within Boston also had garnered quite a few members, and members who actually, very interestingly enough, were highly suspected to be involved in the infamous Boston Tea Party. And it cannot be confirmed by historians, but there is a lot of credence to the thought that the idea for the Boston Tea Party was formulated within a Masonic Lodge among uh, Freemason members. As the years went on and the American Revolutionary War began, more and more founding fathers that we all know the names of joined the ranks of Freemasonry. These names include, but are not limited to, uh, George Washington, Paul Revere, John Hancock, John Marshall, James Madison, Francis Scott Key, Henry Knox, Thomas Paine, and James Monroe, and then also, like I said, Benjamin Franklin, of course. It is accepted that nine of the signatures at the bottom of the Declaration of Independence were confirmed Masons, but that number could actually be even higher. Many important talks and debates having to do with the country's creation actually occurred behind the doors of Masonic lodges. So this is where a lot of conspiracists like to you know, point at America as simply being a product of the Masonic agenda. And many historians have actually tried to go back and find sources that can definitively link Freemasonry and Freemason ideals to the ideas and systems that were implemented in America. But due to the extremely private nature of you know, Freemason meetings, little to no documentation exists at all to draw any kind of concrete connection. So the Freemason Society is you know, still alive and well in modern times. And like I said, they currently have around 5 million active members. Today, the average member of the Brotherhood will attend meetings at lodges and interact with other members during that time, but will speak very little of Masonic activity outside of that, right? They don't even talk to their wives, to their, you know, their siblings, nothing. They're just very, very close-knit, and they only talk about Masonic activity within the lodges. And there are, like I said, established secret handshakes, codes, uh, secret signs, and words that you can use to identify Freemason brothers in the outside world. And not just anyone can become a Freemason. There's a very specific course of action that needs to be taken if a new member wants to join. Firstly, it's said that a Freemason member, someone who is currently actually a member, cannot go out of his way to invite someone else into the society. Like, No, there's no inviting allowed at all. 
Instead, what has to happen is that a prospective member has to want to join on their own without any kind of outside pressure. So if a husband and father really wants his son to become a Freemason just like he is, he just has to hope that the son will find his way there on his own and he can't like push him or ask him to join, right? But if a guy comes along and is like, hey, I, I like the belief system of the Freemasons, I want to join the Brotherhood, and you know, if, if that happens, then there really is a way for him to go about and do that. He just has to A, fill out a petition, B, secure the recommendation of two separate existing members within the lodge that he wants to join, and then C, believe in some kind of grand architect, like I said. So to a certain extent, you would you know, just have to be kind of well-liked in the community that you're a part of. And like I alluded to earlier, there's a certain initiation ritual that a new member would have to go through in which they swear up and down that they shall uphold the core tenets of Freemasonry and that they will never divulge the secrets. The exact way in which this ritual is conducted varies from lodge to lodge, and I'm sure it's varied much throughout the ages as well. There was much talk, more so in the past than in current times, but, you know, talk nonetheless, that new initiates are actually threatened with torture and loss of life and limb if they were to spread societal secrets. Apparently, as a member, you know, you know, as you move through the ranks towards Master Mason and you get to know more and more secrets, the punishment for, um, you know, transgression becomes more and more severe. Now, I cannot give a source to definitively prove this, but I have read this information in multiple locations that apparently the tongue is torn from the body as punishment for the entered apprentice, all the way up to disembowelment and burning of the bowels at the level of Master Mason. Now, I'm sure this is just talk, you know, this is what they say, but there are for sure, ser they, you know, the Freemasons are very serious about keeping the secrets, and you know, they're very serious about many other things as well. And I, if you think about it, a society that has been around this long, that has been this prominent and has this many members and, you know, we still don't really know anything about it. Like, damn, they're really keeping their secrets. And it's insane that they have this many members that are really, truly dedicated to this extent. For instance, right now, I would like to tell you all about what actually happens at their meetings, like how they go about it, what they talk about. But that information just is not out there like plain is not out there and some of the information that kind of is out there is outdated or it's just completely speculative in nature but this is where i'll introduce you to an infamous event that stands as a dark stain on the history of the freemasons an event in which one man decided that he was going to spill all the secrets of the society a man who was then subsequently never seen again You ever heard of the disappearance of William Morgan? No? It's funny because it's kind of a big deal that it seems to have just been swept under the rug over the years. So let me lay it out for you. In the early 1800s, the United States had a pretty strong tradition of electing Masonic presidents and political leaders. They, there were already some murmurs going around that maybe it's not the best idea to be electing people that are part of a secret society that could possibly have a hidden agenda. So a man by the name of William Morgan decided that he was gonna get to the bottom of it. He discovered the time and location of a certain Freemason meeting at a local lodge. During this meeting, he was able to swindle himself through the front doors by posing as a member. 
While inside, he was able to write down many of the proceedings, and a few days later, he began spouting it all out publicly, that he had heard all their secrets and he was going to write a book revealing it all. Well, the Freemasons didn't like that, and there were some favors called in, and they, went, uh, they managed to arrest Morgan and throw him in jail, citing an outstanding debt of just a measly $2.65. While in prison, they threatened him not to release the book, but a few days later, when it seemed that nothing they, would say, they could say would change William's mind, they kidnapped him from his jail cell and took him to the U.S.-Canadian border. And what did they do with him? Well, it depends on who you ask. Ask a Freemason, even today, and they'll tell you that they sent him off to Canada with a new identity, and, you know, only after he swore that he wouldn't release the book or speak about what he saw, and he still lives his days out as a happy Canadian. I mean, not still, this was a long time ago, but that he just, he lived the rest of his life in Canada. That's pretty much what they'll tell you. Um, but... If you ask anyone else during the time, people who were privy to this information and what was going on, they would say that William had been killed in cold blood. Mind you, this event took place almost 200 years ago, so the facts are a bit sparse, but apparently there was a body found nearby that at least somewhat matched the description of William. But the Freemasons insisted they wouldn't have done that. Either way, one thing is known. William Morgan was never seen again. Never again. And it kind of baffles me as I think about this personally. It's like, you're talking about this guy who was just hellbent on releasing the secrets of the Freemason Society. And you're telling me that you're like, hey, you have a new name in Canada. Go go to it. And he just went to Canada and like didn't say anything. Like, no, like if he wasn't seen again, something happened in my mind, at least. The four men who kidnapped William were put on trial, but it's thought that the judge and the other officials who were a part of the trial were also Masons and they gave him unfair lenience or gave the four members unfair lenience. I mean, we're talking about like they had small fines and only a few short months of imprisonment for like kidnapping and then possible murder. And his friend back home, William's friend back home, who actually had all of the the book that was written by William Morgan, he actually just ended up publishing it anyways. And it instantly became famous when he released it. And like, as a side note, I actually found the full PDF version of this book online. And let's just suffice to say that it's not quite the like, oh my God, they're all devil worshipers kind of tell all that we thought it would be or that you might've expected. But it's kind of just like a, you know, here's what their handshakes were while I was there. And here's how the meeting was conducted. But at any rate, their secrets kind of were revealed. And from there, a wave of anti-Masonic anti feelings swept the nation. So much so that there was actually a political party set up called the Anti-Masonic Party. The membership totals like of, of the Freemasons just absolutely went into the dumps. They just dropped because there was a huge, like I said, just sweeping across the nation. People hated the Freemasons and they were not electing them into office. And as a, as a political figure, you did not want to associate yourself with the Freemasons for fear that you wouldn't be elected because of it. And, you know, after all of it, it wasn't the first time that the Freemasons had to face ill feelings like this. And it would even happen again in the most unfortunate turn of events in World War II. During the Holocaust, actually, Adolf Hitler declared that all Freemasons are enemies. And it was, you know, it was so much so that he even began to round them up across Europe and send them to concentration camps where so many innocent people lost their lives. 
In total, it's estimated that between 80,000 and 200,000 Freemasons were killed during this time. As long as the Freemasons maintain their secrets and their secretive nature, fingers will be pointed at them and they will be met with suspicion, I'm sure. On one hand, it does seem kind of childish, right? Like a fight with your sibling. How dare you have a secret? I want the secret too. How dare you talk behind closed doors? But on the other hand, it cannot be ignored how much power and influence Freemason members have had in the history of the world. And it is a bit concerning to the average outsider that, you know, all these powerful figures that are above public intervention that operate with impunity, like, they could have some kind of secret agenda. And that's a little bit more scary. And that's why people throw around ideas like the Illuminati to bring on fear. And some of you may not know this, but the Illuminati was actually a very real secret society for a time. It was first organized in 1776 in Germany and held many of the same philosophies that the Freemasons did, actually, with a central goal to oppose stark religious influence over the people. In fact, the Illuminati and the Freemasons worked closely together for a while, that is, until the Freemasons began to distance themselves after it became increasingly clear that the Illuminati members were more than willing to resort to aggression and violence to achieve their goals. While the Freemasons also saw some of these claims, it was mostly the Illuminati who were blamed for playing a part in igniting the French Revolution, and over the decades, they continued to be vilified and condemned by various organizations. Eventually, the group disbanded, and the members receded into the shadows, though many claim, even to this day, that the Illuminati just, it actually never left, and that it was just reshaped into the existing Freemason society. And when you hear me talk about the Illuminati, I'm sure you envision the all-seeing eye or the triangle symbol that they're known for. And this can actually get me started on an interesting topic of hidden symbols when it comes to secret societies. So let's play a fun game. For those of you in America, if you have one, pull out a dollar bill, uh, like a single U.S. dollar bill, the, the one dollar bill. And for everyone else who either doesn't have one or isn't in America, please just Google a picture of the dollar bill. Or, you know, I have also posted pictures that can work alongside my podcast on my Facebook page. Okay, so let's get down to it. The Freemasons, who we have already established played a big role in creating the United States of America, also played a big role in creating the currency. There are tons and tons of little hidden secrets in the dollar bill, and I freaking love it. So the Freemason symbol is the classic uppercase G with two overlapping V shapes, one right side up and one upside down in with the G in the middle. And like just to sidetrack really quickly, this is like, like I said, the main symbol associated with Freemasonry and that G in the middle, many believe that it stands for God, but it most actually probably actually stands for grand architect like i said before but anyways the dollar bill so if you one of the first thing that stands out when you look on the back of the dollar bill is that all-seeing eye atop the pyramid and many historians believe that this eye is the being above it's the grand architect if you may and while i don't believe that it's necessarily insidious by nature some also like to take it a step further and say that it's the eye of the Masons, always monitoring and controlling the world beneath. Anyways, now look below that, scrawled along the bottom of the bottom border of that oval, you can see the words Novus Ordo Seclorum, which is a Latin term that translates to New Order of the Ages. There has been some talk in the past with a slightly incorrect translation that it really means New World Order, which of course incites images of the Illuminati and Big Brother. 
Of course, we have the whole pyramid itself, which is really just a triangle. And triangles seem to keep popping up as symbols of secret societies. Of course, the Illuminati, but remember, the Freemason symbol is really just two triangles on top of one another, which actually almost makes a pentagram. Now, a pentagram is... It's kind of like the common star shape that you would imagine with five points. And it should be known that the pentagram is often regarded as a symbol of the occult. For instance, the pentagram shape is used as the official insignia of the Church of Satan. So it is a bit odd that the Freemasons have a symbol that kind of looks like a disjointed pentagram. But maybe it's just a coincidence, right? Well, for those of you that still have your dollar bill out or with you know just a picture of the dollar bill, I want to show you something very interesting. So take the pyramid as the first triangle, as one triangle, and then now trace an imaginary second overlapping triangle to make a pentagram shape, right? That has the five points with the first three points being on that original pyramid. If you look at each of the points that this imaginary pentagram makes, it points exactly to five letters along the outside border. And guess what those five letters are? M, A, S, O and N, Mason. And like, <laughs> for those of you who are actually following me, like, do you guys see that? It, it's kind of crazy. And for those of you who are in the car or anything, you're going to have to look and trust me for now and then look later. But it really does spell out Mason. And it's, it's kind of crazy. The first time I realized this, I was like, holy shit. And also to make it easier, I did post a picture of this exact tracing on my Facebook page. But honestly, if this is a coincidence, it's got to be like one of the coolest coincidences I've ever seen. But before I get off the pentagram subject, I also want to talk about uh, Washington, D.C. itself, where obviously our government is you know, headquartered. Washington, D.C., the layout of Washington, D.C., if you look on Google Maps, which I've also linked in my Facebook page, the layout of the road system beginning at the White House makes a pentagram, which could, you know, again, could be a coincidence, but God, there's a lot of pentagram stuff around here. So regardless, all of this association with the secretive endeavors and the pentagram symbol have caused many conspiracists over the ages to accuse the Freemasons as being you know, secret devil worshippers and Satanists. But at any rate, I have one more thing to show you on the dollar bill. Now, I want you guys to turn it back to the front side or for those of you on the Internet, get a good picture of the front because this one's going to take some squinting. Now, there's one more secret society that I haven't mentioned yet today, and this is going to have to do with the, the dollar bill, I swear. And that is of the Bohemian Club. Now, this highly exclusive club was formed back in the mid-1800s, and it still runs to this day, with the main attraction being a very uh, yearly event in California in which the rich and powerful meet in secret among the forests to hold a super-secret ritual at the foot of a great stone statue of an owl. Now, members of this club have included many influential figures over the years, including presidents, scientists, big business owners, diplomats, political leaders and entertainment influencers among them. There's one famous picture, actually, of Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon sitting together at this event. This club has had its, you know, an interesting and mysterious history in and of itself, but let's just uh, suffice to say that their big symbol, the big takeaway, is that of that huge owl, the owl. It's a symbol that only the rich and the powerful that attend the event are allowed to know the meaning behind, and some people speculate that, you know, means wisdom, but uh, for sure there's something bigger going on here. And when you start to consider the owl symbol, it actually appears all over the place in ways that you might not expect. 
Now, you can really go down the rabbit hole here and believe that every picture or figure of an owl is the secret symbol of the Bohemian Club, signifying its ever-present influence, but just to list a few places that the secret owl pops up, we have Disneyland, uh, the New York Herald, the National Press Club logo, the original Illuminati logo on campus at Yale, and then also, you guessed it, hidden in the U.S. dollar bill. So look really, really close for me, and I mean really close, in the top right corner of the front of the dollar bill. And I want you to focus in just slightly above the one, the number one, and then off to the left a little bit. Just right, I mean just right and adjacent to that leaf, sitting right there, right above that borderline, is a small, tiny little owl just chilling. And for those of you who can't find it or don't have superhuman vision, go ahead and Google this one as well. There's some magnified images that will come up and, you know, just look up dollar bill owl in Google images. But yeah, that little guy, it, he makes my head spin. And you guys can take away like anything you want from this. Maybe it's all connected or maybe it's not. Maybe it's all a grand scheme or maybe it's just a good natured brotherhood. Either way, you cannot ignore the pure amount of historical and you know, influential figures who have called themselves Masons. And I'll list off a few of them now because I'm sure you guys are very curious, but by no means is this an exhaustive list. So, all right, we have, let's see, we have Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, Mark Twain, Mozart, Winston Churchill, Franklin D. Roosevelt, J. Edgar Hoover, Andrew Jackson, Oscar Wilde, John Wayne, Theodore Roosevelt, Harry Houdini, Voltaire, Gerald Ford, Henry Ford, Benedict Arnold, Davy Crockett, Roy Rogers, Arthur Conan Doyle, Samuel Adams, Thomas Edison, Colonel Sanders, Beethoven, Alexander Pope, Garibaldi, Buzz Aldrin, Gustave Eiffel, Montesquieu, Albert Einstein, Sigmund Freud, Joseph Stalin, Aaron Burr, Lewis and Clark, Alexander Fleming, who discovered penicillin, Booker T. Washington, a civil rights leader, John Elway, a famous athlete, and many, many, many more. And I encourage you all that, you know, when you have a free moment and you're curious enough, look up a list of the Freemasons yourself. You'll be blown away by how many powerful figures you can see listed there. And I guarantee it, there are some there that you're just like, wow, he was a Freemason, really? And, you know, no matter what you believe, if it's, if it's all a conspiracy against us or it's just all harmless, you cannot deny that there was a secret, if there was a, you know, if hypothetically speaking, if there was a secret New World Order controlling everything, this is pretty much exactly how it would look. And that brings me to the end of this podcast, my friends. As always, I thank you so much for joining me today and listening to me ramble for close to an hour about these crazy topics. But honestly, it is so much fun for me to make these episodes. And if I can even connect with just a single person out there and make their day, then it will all have been worth it. So seriously, thank you so much for the support. If you really do enjoy these episodes, please tell your friends, tell your coworkers. It would really help me out here. And after all, it seems like a lot of us will be spending some extra time indoors over the next couple months because, you know, of this whole coronavirus craziness. And so I guess there's better, never been a better time to start a new podcast. But in all seriousness, I want you guys to stay safe out there. These are some crazy times. And just because our daily lives have been effective and, you know, in some ways they've been effective negatively, it doesn't mean that we can't still seek out new knowledge, ask questions and stimulate our minds through it all. So to my listeners out there, I say again, stay safe, stay smart, and don't stop enjoying life in any way you can. And I'd be glad to hear if my humble little podcast could help with that for anyone. But until next time, my friends, I will see you on next Thursday.